Judges chapter 5. So last week was Judges 4, and that was war. Here we're in Judges 5, and it's worship. And it's a part of worship called praise. And praise is song or singing. And I can remember a time in my life where I sang a lot, like there was a lot of singing. I was in this school called the School of Ministry. I was with Roman. And we went every morning for an hour from 6.30 to 7.30 for morning worship where we'd sing. And then we had this leader named Jim Wright who just randomly would have us sing. So we'd be 24 guys and four leaders on this bus and we'd get off this bus and we'd go into a restaurant like McDonald's and we'd make our orders and then we'd all be standing there and Jim Wright would be like, okay, boys, praise the name and everyone's singing and you just see the fry cook going, uh, oh, what is happening? Am I being punked right now? I mean, just, so for me, I was like, yeah, singing, right? That's what you do. Until my first wedding at Edgewater. And I have this couple that come in and I don't know them, I get to know them. And the dude came out of Roy Masters. And so he's trying to figure out church and Jesus and all this stuff. And I'm doing premarital counseling with him. And we are done for that day. And I said, do you have any questions? I know that probably church and what we do is different than what you're used to. Do you have any questions? He goes, yeah. He goes, why? do we sing? And I thought for a second, like, yeah. Where else in America do people get together in some form like this, a group of people, and they begin with singing? Like, where does that happen? Like the CEO of the company calls a company-wide meeting, gets everybody together. It's like, hey, before we hit our agenda, we're going to sing a song. It'll be up on the board. It's Hotel California by the Eagles. Join in when you're ready. <laughs> like, you'd be like, you're nuts, man, right? Graduation, right? High school graduation. Hey, before we get to the graduation, we're all gonna sing a song together. Like, it'd be crazy. So I'm like, yeah, that, that is kind of interesting. What we do, it is very, very unique. And the reason is the Bible is full of song, like over and over and over. Their song, the final book in the Bible, Revelation, comes to a halt, like full stop, and then heaven just breaks into song. Like in, you're, if you read it, you're like, whoa, that's kind of abrupt. It's just like all of a sudden, there's all this singing. The very first words between humans that are recorded in scripture, it's a song. Read it, Genesis chapter two. The first time Adam speaks to Eve, he does not talk he sings to her. And Gordon MacDonald, a theologian, said he believed before the fall, the way humans communicated with each other was not talking, it was singing. We would sing to each other. How cool would that be? Like, even if you said something hard, it'd be okay. Like, I don't like you. Well, I'm okay with it because you said it so nicely. So actually, we can just move on then, right? But sin has stolen our voice, and now we don't sing anymore. It's a bummer. Because if you research singing, there are so many benefits to singing. Like just 
taking time and singing. When, you, when we sing together, you know what happens? Oxytocin is released in your brain. It bonds us together as a group. That's what oxytocin is. It's the bonding agent that the God has given to us. So we feel like more like a family just by singing a song. People that sing frequently, they live longer. They're less depressed. They're in better moods. Have you ever been in a really bad mood and then turned on the radio to your favorite song? What happens to your mood? It's gone, it's out the window. You're like, yeah, I love this song, R-E-S-P-C-E-T, right? (laughs) That's singing, we're supposed to. The Bible says this, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's why Revelation full stop, worthy is the lamb, worthy. Eternity is going to be that. Eternity is going to be everything that has breath praises the Lord. It's gonna be a giant Disney movie, right? Because everything sings in a Disney movie. The lions do, the cats do, the horses do, right? Everything sings. It's just one giant song in eternity. People wonder what dolphins say. They think they're really smart, like as smart as a first grader. You know what dolphins say to each other all the time? Worthy is the lamb. Back and forth, worthy is the lamb. And when you see the Bible, the predominant instrument for praise is not a guitar, it's not a keyboard, it's not a harmonica, it's not a mandolin, it's the human voice. The predominant instrument is my voice, it's your voice. It's our breath praising him. So judges, middle of judges, middle of this battle, pulls the full break, we're stopping. And we're gonna praise, and we're gonna praise. That's what Judges does. And by the way, if you're a Bible student, Judges 5 is considered to be some of the hardest Hebrew in the entire Bible. It's hard Hebrew on one side, but the other side of it is this. A lot of times you can figure out Hebrew by context, like, oh, that's what they're saying. But songs aren't driven by context, right? It's art. And art from thousands of years ago is really hard to decipher. So imagine this, in a thousand years, someone comes to Grant's Pass and they're digging and they unearth a daily courier and they open it up and there's this full color page of a beaver fighting a duck. What would they think? They'd be like, those cavemen, they were forcing animals to fight each other right? Because it's art. It doesn't make sense thousands of years down the line. So if you read chapter five of Judges in any different translation, every time you read it, there's a massive difference in it. So I have just chosen ESV. I've kind of studied, it's, I don't know. People, I don't, we, this is our best guess on this chapter. You can get the main points, but there's these little sub points that are very hard to like decipher out. So I'm just going with ESV. We're going to read it. War, now worship. Verse one, Judges five. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless Yahweh. 
Hear, O kings. Give ear, O princes. There's no kings in Israel, so who is this song directed to? Hear, O kings. Give ear, O princes. To Yahweh I will sing. I will make melody to Yahweh, the God, the Elohim of Israel. Yahweh, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before Yahweh, even Sinai before Yahweh, the God, the Elohim of Israel. Praise begins with God. Praise should always begin with God. I think great praise songs should always begin with God. God, you control creation. That's what this is saying. That the heavens dropped their rain because what was believed by the other kings was Baal controlled the rain. We'll get to where God controls the rain. And so this song is, uh-uh, God, Yahweh controls creation. It ties Yahweh back to Sinai, back to Egypt, back to the deliverance of, from Pharaoh. Like, hey, remember how great Yahweh is. Remember that. They praise him. Praise is in our DNA. Don't you know that? That if you're somewhere and you experience greatness, the human heart has to praise that moment. So if you're at a football game and your team scores a touchdown, what do you do? Well, that will help my fantasy football by 1.2%, um, yes. No, what do you do? You jump up and you shout and then you retell what just happened. Did you see that catch? Did you see how he stretched out and grabbed that? Did you see that one-handed? You have to retell, even though everybody saw it, right? It's not like someone's like, I did not see that. You have to retell it. That's praise. Without praise, the event is incomplete. Praise completes events. That's what this whole song is. It's completing this event. Look how great our God is. Do you take time in your day to praise the greatness of God? Do you begin your day reminding yourself of the greatness of God? That is a excellent discipline. I think when we do not do that, the life that God has for us gets aborted in a way. It's incompleted, it's unfinished. Because as humans, our hearts are wired, they're live wired for praise. And when we begin just by reminding ourselves of the greatness of God, it sets out a schedule for our day that's brilliant. Praise always begins with God. God, look how good and great you are. And then, verse six. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Yael, the highways were abandoned and the travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel they ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. 
when new gods, Elohims, were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless Yahweh. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way to the sound of musicians at the watering places. There they repeat the righteous triumphs of Yahweh, the righteous triumphs of his villages in Israel. Then down to the gates march the people of Yahweh. First, God is great. Secondly, Israel's bad. Israel's in a tough, broken spot. Verse six, the highways were abandoned. Travelers kept to the byways. Because of this oppression of Jabin and Cicero, what was happening was nobody was on the highways anymore. Everything was blockaded. Everything was blocked off. It'd be like the Suez Canal for six days, right? So you can forget getting your yoga mat for a long time. It's gonna be a while. But multiply that not by six days, by 20 years. So the normal trade routes where movement of goods would happen disappears. Communities, right? The villages ceased in Israel. Why? Because they're targets now. You couldn't get together in groups anymore and have community anymore because that just made up a bigger target. So everybody had to hide out in caves and in, in distant places. And because of all this, here's what they do. Verse eight, new gods, it's the Hebrew word Elohims, were chosen. And just a little note, the word God in your Bible does not always point to the God that we think about. That's why twice it says this, verse five, Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel. God is a title. There's all kinds of gods in the Bible. Baal is a God. Ashtoreth is a God, right? Moloch is a God. They're all Elohims. Yahweh is, the Bible says, is the creator God. He is who he is. There's nothing that formed him. That's literally what his name means. I am who I am. I exist because I exist. And he gets, or he gives that name to Moses in Exodus chapter three. So I personally, when I read the Bible, and when I come across capital O, cap, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is God's covenant name. And I choose to read it as Yahweh because God said, my name is Yahweh. And I think if someone says that's their name, that you should probably call them by it. So I've just chosen to say, I don't know why, what happened where it was decided that you can't say that name because God never quite says that. He says, don't take my name in vain but never don't speak my name. So I believe since God said, this is my name, then I'm going to speak his name as Yahweh. So maybe when you've heard me read the Bible, I will come across capital O, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and I'll say Yahweh. So anyways, so he is Yahweh, the God, the Elohim of 
Israel. Now they choose other Elohims. They go God shopping, right? Our God failed us. Is that true? Nope. They walked away from God. They chose to be evil and sin and turn their back on God. And God says, okay, go. Have it your way. And they're like, well, maybe the gods of the Canaanites will help us. So they begin to choose all these other Elohims. They go God shopping. Don't we do that sometimes? We get disappointed with God. So we go God shopping. Maybe this will help or that program will do it or this program or whatever it is. We go God shopping. Be careful of it. God doesn't move. The Bible says if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. The problem is me. The problem is where I've been. I need to get back right with God. I need to get back under the spout where the blessings come out. That's the problem. But these guys, they make the mistake. We're gonna choose some other gods and see if they'll help us. And all it does is there's still war, still war on the gates, and there's no weapons in Israel. Out of 40,000 Israelites, there's not a spear and there's not a sword. So 20 years of compromise, 20 years of copying just made their life worse. Let that be a lesson to us. Because I think sometimes we look at our culture and we look at our world and we start to try to copy and mimic and make compromises with it and it's just gonna make your life worse. That's all it's going to do. Don't choose other gods. So Deborah watches this. In verse nine, she just says, my heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. The odds are stacked against them. They have iron chariots. We don't have a spear or a sword. I love what Deborah says about herself here. When she describes who she is, she doesn't say, I'm Deborah, the hero of the story. I'm Deborah, the prophetess who made this whole thing happen. I'm Deborah, the judge, Judge Deborah. How does she describe herself? Verse seven, as a mother in Israel. I'm Deborah, a mom in Israel. How cool is that? Now she's a mama bear, no doubt. And she is protecting Yahweh's heritage in the people of Israel, totally. And she is giving counsel and wisdom and she is telling men to get things together and go for it. And what are you doing? And wake up, praise the Lord for mama bears. Like we need more of them. If you've ever been called a mama bear, be thankful because the world needs Deborah mama bears that are saying to men, what are you doing? Why are you sitting? Don't you remember who God is? Get out there and take out this enemy. We need tons of mama bears. Deborah's a great lady. So God is great. Israel's in really bad spot. So what do we do? Verse 12. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake. Break out in a song. Arise, Barak. Lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of Yahweh marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down into the valley. 
Following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Makir, march down the commanders. And from Zebulun, those who beat the lieutenant's staff. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah. And Issachar, faithful to Barak, into the valley they rushed at his heels. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searching of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds? to hear the whistling for the flocks. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to the death. Naphtali too, on the heights of the field. God is great, we're screwed up, so there's a call to war. And a call to war involves three groups of people. Group one, the leaders, the Deborahs, the Barracks, the princes of Issachar. And what happens is, finally the leaders stand up, hear this clarion call from Deborah, and they begin to do what they're supposed to do. Leaders are really important. Leaders hearing a clarion call and standing up for what they know is right. Because step two happens, the willing. Verse two tells us, the people offered themselves willing. Verse nine says, the commanders offered themselves willing. Then you have these great, verse 18, one of my favorite. Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to death. They're SEAL team six. They're just, okay, we're all in. Verse 15, Issachar rushed to Barak's heels. Like they just, okay, okay. They see leaders getting a clarion prophetic call and they say, me too, I'm with you. That is a pattern that you see repeated over and over throughout Judges in the Bible. And you've got to have it. You've got to have the prophetic voice You've got leaders that respond to that and you've got willing people that say, I'm with you no matter what. I'm with you. you the leaders, you've got the willing people and then you've got the wants. You've got the wants. Verse 15, among the clans of Reuben, there were great searching of heart. Great searching of heart. But why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flock? They searched their hearts. They probably had meetings, got all the elders together. Hey, let's have a meeting about this. They probably talked about it a bunch. Pros and conned it. Maybe they fasted. Maybe they even prayed. Lots of searching of heart. But at the end of it, they just said, you know, it's just not my gift. Yeah, I don't think I'm called to that ministry. Let, let other people take care of it. And so they sat still. There was the secure people, the people that were beyond the Jordan, Gilead. And they're like, you know, that's not really my problem. That's their problem over there. I'm secure over here. I'm not gonna do anything about that. The secure waltz. And then you have Dan. 
and Asher. They're, they're on the coast. They've got ships, so they know this. Hey, if things get really bad, we'll just get in our ships and we'll just leave. We got an escape route. If things get really bad, we're out of here. We'll go to Boise, Idaho or something. I mean, come on. <laughs> we're escaping. It's just a bunch of people that won't do it. They knew what they should do, but they said, I'm not going to do it. And they had all the Christianese for it. I prayed about it. You know, I just not feel led. You know, it's just not my calling. Just like us today. Just like us, right? It's amazing to me how we'll sit by and we'll watch things happen and not do anything about it. A couple years ago, I was at the skate park. I had Elijah and Myron. Myron was like five years old and that was it. And it was starting to get rough there and get rough at the skate park. So I was like, Myron, Lodge, let's go. So we're walking over to my vehicle and we're getting and I get in, I started up and I see these, the, the two troubled parts of the skate park at that point. And they start picking on this kid. I'm watching it for just a second. And then one of them takes his skateboard sideways and just tries to just hit the dude in the head. Luckily, I don't know what a skateboard swung at force would do to somebody's head, but it wouldn't be pretty right? So I turn off the car, I jump out, and there's these two other adults there, right? They're just standing there. I'm getting, I'm running over there. Myron, my five-year-old, jumps out with me. He's like, I'm coming, dad, too. I'm like, Myron, back in the car, right? And I go, right, and I look at these two dudes, and I just, I, I did this. I'm like, what, what's up? And they just went, that was it, just shrugged. Like, you're going to stand there and let teenagers hit each other with skateboards, like, what planet are we on? Myron's more of a man than you are. I just was so disappointed. How often do we do so? We just, no, you, know, you know, it's over there. It's not, not my deal. When good, godly people stop doing what they're supposed to be doing, you end up with judges. That's what you end up with. Ah, not my, not my gifting, not, not called to do that. What? It's right in front of you. It's right in front of you. You're called to do it. It's right in front of you. Pray for leaders. Pray for leaders to be raised up. The Baraks, the Deborahs, the princes of Issachar. Pray for willing hearts of people to say, yeah, not in my town. Not in my town. That stuff's not happening in my town because that's what changes the place. That's what changes it, okay? And maybe today you're, hitting, you're sitting here and there's something you know you should be dealing with. I pray that this message, this song of praise gets you to say, I'm getting off the bench and I'm getting into the game. I'm getting off the bench, I'm getting in the game. Because silence is not always golden. Sometimes silence is just being yellow. That's what it is. And we're to be a people that have no fear because we serve a God who is great. That's how this psalm begins. We're to be velvet steel, soft kind, compassionate, but unbending, speaking the truth in love. Not worry about the way our culture may think or other people may think, just knowing this is the truth and I'm going to speak it because it's truth. Not in a condescending, not in an antagonistic manner. I'm gonna speak the truth in love because things are going sideways. And the church is the last pillar and buttress of truth. It's us right here. It's us, we're it. If we don't do it, no one else is. We have the opportunity to begin to be a kind of people 
velvet steel, speaking truth, not worried about what the culture may be saying and saying, this is right, period. It's a call to battle, call to war. And then you have the battle, verse 19. The kings came, they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoil of silver. From the heaven, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent, Kishon, swept them away. The torrent, the ancient torrent, the torrent, Kishon, march on my soul with might. Then loud beat the horse's hoofs with a galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse, Miraz, says the angel of Yahweh, curse its inhabitants thoroughly because they did not come to the help of Yahweh, to the help of Yahweh against the mighty. Now here's the battle. God's good, Israel's broken, call to battle, here it is. Two things to note. There's symbiotic relationship here. There's symbiosis in this and there's a side effect in this. So here's what you have. You have the Kishon Valley, which has just, it's, it's a wadi, it's normally dry. All of a sudden it floods and there's water coming down, going crazy. Guess what does not work well in the mud? White socks and chariots, right? So the main weapon that the enemy has against Israel has just been taken out. He took out their best weapon. Please know this. In every battle you have, I don't care what it's about. It can be a battle with your employee or your employer. It could be a battle with a friend or your kids or a battle with your neighbor or your spouse. Every battle has a spiritual component to it. God's involved in this battle. It says the stars, and I could do a whole, I won't do it to you, but this is spiritual stuff. There's a spiritual battle happening at the same time that there's a physical battle happening. God is involved, which means this. As believers, we're supposed to have, take a whole different route in battle. In fact, the New Testament says this. Do not be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're spiritual to the pulling down of strongholds. Read Ephesians chapter six. That's our battle wear. That we don't do battle like they do it because we understand behind this, we're wrestling not against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual component to this right now. And so I better bring in the real spiritual weapons, okay? But number two, God didn't take them all out. He could have, he didn't. He took out their chariots and then he said, partner with me. You guys now go in. You were here for chapter four. You guys now go in and clean it up. That's the way God works mostly. Mostly God is looking for covenant partners because that's how he raises up kings and queens who can rule and reign with him for eternity. It's not just God's gonna do everything. We just sit back and be like, I'll be on the couch watching TV. No, engage, partner, right? Like we have these dumb sayings. One of them is let go and let God. That's not in the Bible. And I don't think it ever works. 
because God's looking for partners. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is purely God, but our sanctification, our growing up in all things over and over in the Bible, it's you partner with him. You partner with him. And it grows you and me up. It's one plants another waters and God gives the increase. That's the pattern of scripture. He's calling them to partner with him. I'm gonna take out their best weapon. Now partner with me. It's why the book of Romans, that phenomenal theological book, ends chapter 16, verse 20, saying, and God will crush Satan under our feet. What? I thought Jesus did that. Yes and no. He is doing it now through you and me, that we get to partner with him and seeing darkness pushed back and the enemy crushed in our neighborhoods at the skate parks. That's what God does. He goes, I'll partner with you today in crushing the serpent, okay? So that's it. I think sometimes a mistake Christians make is this. We wait for like the magic wand. Like I'm just waiting for the magic wand where everything will change. You're gonna wait a long time. And when I ask people in that, when you're waiting, what are you doing? Are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? Are you getting godly counsel? Are you in fellowship? Because that's what you're supposed to be doing while you wait. That's the partnering with God's side. And when we do that, it's stacking kindling on the problem so God's spirit can ignite it and take care of it. That's what we do. We partner all the time, just like these guys did, right? So there's a symbiotic side to this and there's a side effect side of this. Verse 23, curse, morose, says the angel of Yahweh, curse its inhabitants thoroughly because they did not come to the help of Yahweh, partnership, to the help of Yahweh against the mighty. They're cursed. Now they probably searched their heart like Reuben did. I searched my heart, but I just didn't feel called to do it. God, God says, you're cursed. I pray I never live in morose. I pray that wherever my soul goes in life, it never goes to this spot where I hear God's clarion call and I yawn and say, no thanks. God, protect me from that kind of a lifestyle. I don't want to live there at all because how I live and how you live actually matters to God. It does right here, right? You're cursed. You're cursed. I called, you heard me, and you just said no. Okay. New Testament, Revelation. I stand at the door of men's hearts and I knock, 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 knock. How many of us ignore that knocking? We know it. We know what we should be doing. And we just say no. And we end up with a life that's not blessed and abundant, but it's cursed. So this is the battle. And then you get this lovely little song. Verse 24. Most blessed of women, Biael, the wife of Eber, the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women, most blessed. He asked for water. She gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her right hand to the tent peg, her right hand 
excuse me, she sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. I'm not sure what the melody would be right here or the tune of this song, probably heavy metal, like, you know, something. Between her feet, he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet, he sank, he fell. Where he sank, then he fell, dead. <laughs> what a lovely little song you have here. So awesome. Okay, this is victory. We read it. It's kind of shocking. Like, Yael is a very dangerous woman. And we're like, ah, this is scary. I don't know if I like this. It's because we did not live for 20 years under the thumb and oppression of Jabin and Sisera. And because of that, because we sit in our own comfort of our nice homes and everything's easy and we can call 911, we have no idea what they went through. We don't understand evil anymore, I don't think. We don't understand war anymore because we've had kind of mixed up, we've had the fog of war really for my whole generation. Like the last like really clear war was World War II. Where it's like, that is evil and it has to be dealt with. Since then, it's been like, well, you know, maybe they should be a little bit better or nicer. Maybe they have this stuff, but we can't really find it, right? It's been that for years now. So we don't understand evil like these people would understand evil. Like how bad things were and how you had to face it, right? And I hope you notice something in this. The song is pretty fast until it comes to the tent of Yael. And how slow are things, right? She reaches her hand for the tent peg, her right hand for the mallet. She puts it upon his temple. She smashes it into his skull. She pierces through. She crushes his head. He lays still. He lies down. He's not moving. He's really not moving. He's very dead, he said. You're like, wow, that just went, like the brakes got turned on. You're supposed to notice that in songs of the Bible because they're pointing out something really important. We're to savor our deliverance and salvation. That's what it's pointing out. That never forget the payment that went in, the, the battle that was fought for your deliverance and salvation. Slow down, savor it understand it, search out its depths. My best illustration of this is many years ago, it was 12 now, a friend of mine gave me a pair of sunglasses. And 12 years ago, at the most, I would spend 10 bucks on sunglasses because I have children. And children love to do this with your sunglasses. They like to grab them and then put them on and just go, snap. What happened to your sunglasses? You broke them. Or they chew on the front of them and you got like these scratches right where you're trying to look out, right? So I just bought cheap sunglasses. So this buddy of mine, he gives me these sunglasses. I'm like, okay, thank you. And I kind of threw them in my truck. I didn't think about them. And then the next day, I actually put them on. I was like, wow, it's like crystal clear like, wow, you can see through these things. These are amazing 
sunglasses and I'm driving with them and I forget they're on my head. They fit so well, they're so light. So I took them off and I started to inspect them. And I looked at one of the arms and it said, titanium, Japan. I thought, well, that's something. And I had this little code. So I went to Google and I Googled the code and the sunglasses were $270. And I was like, where are they at? Get away, kids. Do not touch my glasses, right? 12 years later, I still have those sunglasses because I realized how precious the gift was. We're to savor our salvation. We're never supposed to leave the cross. We're never supposed to leave the work of Jesus Christ. We're just supposed to go back to it and say, are you kidding? You did this for me. You would sacrifice for me. You would leave your place of comfort. Become a man. Be betrayed be denied, be beaten for me. We're to slow down. That's Easter week. We slow down and we savor our salvation. That's what happens right here. It's the way that you and I are to live our lives. The battle that Jesus fought for my deliverance and my salvation, savor it, savor it. And then it ends with the why of war. Out of the window, she peered. The mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answered. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man. Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera. Spoil of dyed materials embroidered. Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil. So may all your enemies perish, O Yahweh, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might and the land had rest for 40 years. This is the why of war flash out of the victory to Sisera's mom, who's looking out a window, wondering where her son is, what's taking him so long. And then she says, oh, it's because he's raping two women right now. It's literally what, he, what it says. ESV cleaned it up, a womb or two for every man. That means they're raping women right now. He's gonna bring me all these garments. Where'd he get the garments from? the women that he raped. Ah, it's like a shopping trip out Rodeo Drive. Like, can you see the callousness of this other scene? That's why, why, that's why war was so necessary. What Yael did was save thousands of women from being raped and subjugated. Because who gets hurt in war the most? Women and children. That's why you need Yael's dangerous people. Sometimes you need dangerous people because they protect thousands of women and thousands of children from being trafficked and raped and brutalized. It was to let the people of Israel realize, oh, oh, that's why. Oh, that's why. Okay, that's why. And then verse 31 just ends. There's peace. It's a preview of Revelation 30, 
or Revelation 19, when finally every enemy is vanquished and you and I live in real shalom the way that we're supposed to live with our king for eternity. And that's coming for you and me, right? So here's why songs are so good. Whenever, if you have a Bible like the ESV, here's what it will do with songs. Do you notice, who here is using an ESV Bible? Do you notice that it's different how it puts it, like it's spaced out more? Like the, there's indentations and stuff to it. Whenever the ESV or any modern translation comes across a song or a poem, it'll do that to it. And you should just take note of those things. Because songs, they're not like narrative. Narrative has to tell you the whole story, right? It has to get the whole thing, it has to give you all the details. Or you're like, wait a second, you left something out. Songs don't have to do that. So what songs do in the Bible, they're huge. Just go through Genesis and read the little, little times that, the, that, that your Bible will do something different with the indentations, with the spaces. What it's doing is saying, this is a little song and it's now telling you the most important things about what you just read. That's what they always do. They're brilliant because they don't have to give you all the details like a narrative. It's just saying, here's the highlights. Here's what you need to know, right? So I'm just gonna be, give you a few because I don't have time to do them all. But here are the highlights that this song is telling us Pay attention to this. This is what really matters. Number one, Deborah is a catalyst, right? She doesn't actually do the warring. She doesn't do the, the battling. She doesn't call it the army. She doesn't do any of that, but she is the reason it all happens. She's the catalyst. This prophetic woman wakes up a people who are shopping for different gods, hiding out in caves, unable to do anything well. She wakes them up and gives them 40 years of shalom. I am praying that America, Oregon, Josephine County, Grants Bass, Edgewater has Deborah's. They are so needed the catalysts of change that wake people up from slumber, wake people up from lethargy, wake people up and help them to see clearly, oh, yes, this is what I'm supposed to do. Number two, Yael does something radical for Yahweh. What is the last radical thing you've done for Jesus? We'll get to a little bit more of how radical it was. When's the last radical thing you've done for Jesus? Hopefully it's not years ago. If it is, pray the prayer that I've been praying because of this chapter. Jesus, help me to be radical for you. Help me to do what I need to do to be radical for your name. Number three, there's a blessing to the willing. Those that willingly said, this is what we're supposed to do. I'm going for it. I'm on the heels of Barak. I'm risking my life. I'm going for it. Are you a willing participant in the kingdom life that's available for you today? And there's a million ways to do it. 
If you have any questions, we'll find something for you to do. We're good at that. Are you a willing participant? If you're saying, I'm not a willing participant, then pray that God changes your heart. Okay, God loves willing participants, people that want to do it, not drug in or guilted in or forced in. They're, hey, sign me up. Here I am, send me, Isaiah style. And there's a blessing for that. Number four, there will be a roll call. Tribes are named. These tribes jumped in. These tribes searched their heart. and decided staying with the sheep was more important. These guys planned their escape route. These guys were secure and said, ah, it's your problem, not ours. There's coming a roll call. Where will we be? Am I gonna be the willing one? Am I gonna be the, well, I really prayed about it and just didn't wanna do it. I mean, planning my escape route. I would say, that's not my problem, I'll deal with it. There's gonna be a roll call. What tribe am I in? What tribe am I in? Then God uses resources we'd never think of, right? It's been men, 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 men. And then you have chapter four and chapter five, women, Deborah and Yael. A mom and Yael is from a tribe that was part of the enemy. And she alone says, I'm not going with this tribe anymore. I'm not doing it. I'm standing up against probably her husband who would be in, you know, whatever, a confederacy with Jabin. And she just says, no more. No more of this. No more of this tyranny. No more of this lifestyle. No more of this. I'm going to stand with Yahweh. God uses resources you'd never think of. Do you know that? Do you know that God has resources and whatever issue you have right now that you don't know about? Like, I, we do something funny, I think. We get in problems, we have addictions or issues or whatever it might be, and so then we do all that we think we should be doing, right? We, we get in our programs or, or we try different methods or we go to different people, and then when we get to the end of ourselves, we're like, well... I guess I should pray about it and give God a shot, you know? Uh, God, you know, here's my issue. And, and, you know, maybe you can help, but good luck because I've already tried everything. It's really silly. It should start with praise. God, you are great. You know my trouble. Help me. That's, that's where we should begin. God, you're great. I'm broken. Help me. Do you think God is like, nah, nah, not gonna do that? The whole story of Judges is God rushes to the repentant Israel every time, time after time after time after time. You think God would grow tired of it? Like, are you kidding again? He never says that. He never says that to you and me. He says, okay. He rushes to the repentant sinner. That's this song, it's brilliant, brilliant song. Jesus, I pray that this song, so rich, so incredible, so hard, would find soft hearts and produce good fruit. That we would allow the mirror of Scripture 
to reveal where we are flawed. And then we would be quick to confess, to repent, and allow you to reshape, remold the very intentions of our heart because you're able to do that. I pray that even in this Wednesday night crowd, I pray that there would be Deborahs that are being raised up, that see with clarity the Jabins, Siseras, in Grant's Pass and call them out and call up leaders. And there'd be willing hearts we see a city transformed by your power. I pray that there be nobody that's hidden here tonight that lives in Meroz, that's cursed because of disobedience. Forgive us, Lord, we're so easily distracted When you remember your prayer, which is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's not forget how insidious and powerful and deceptive evil is, how it blinds us. And 20 years passes like a snap. Help us. May your word go into hearts and produce good fruit. May you give an increase, I pray, because of Judges chapter five. And I ask this in your name, amen. Amen.